You are listening to the Gateway Church in Spring Lake, Michigan. To learn more, visit us at thegatewaygh.com. All right. Well, man, I've been excited to uh, preach this week. I've been studying in the book of Ruth, and as you know, if, we've been, if you've been here the last few weeks, uh, we are trying to tackle the entire book of Ruth in four Sundays. And so we got today and then next week to do that. But I understand, and as, even as I was praying this morning for us, that I realized that if each of us could think of four or five different things that we could be doing right now instead of being in church, that would represent thousands of choices of things that we could be doing, but you chose to be here this morning. And I believe that God is going to meet you and he's going to uh, help you to grow this morning. We're studying this incredible story. It's the Cinderella story of the Old Testament. It's a story that shows God working in mysterious ways. It's a story of showing God working behind the scenes. It's a story for people who wonder where God is in your circumstance and in my circumstance. How many have ever asked God, God, where are you, right? It's a story for those who wonder if a life of integrity in tough times is worth it. The tagline of this series is hope in the hurting. The idea that the best is yet to come. And in chapter 1, we saw two single ladies that were hurting. Naomi was the mother-in-law. She had, they experienced famine, and, and, uh, and then she experienced the loss of her husband. And we understand in chapter 1 that Naomi is bitter. She said, don't call me pleasant, Naomi. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. And we also are introduced to Ruth, the daughter-in-law, who is struggling in her own right. She was a Moabite woman, but she had lost her husband as well, and so she is struggling. In that chapter 1, we see a series of bad choices, and then they decide to turn back to God's plan, come back home to Bethlehem, turning towards the promise, turning towards the favor of God. And in verse 22, the chapter wraps up, and we see this glimmer of hope for Naomi and for Ruth, because the harvest season is coming. In chapter 2, we see that God is working behind the scenes. We said it this way, that God was subtly and quietly at work. How many of you have ever seen God at work in your life in that way? I sure hope so. I hope you can understand that. The theological term behind that is the providential work of God. It's the providence of God that is at work. The big takeaway last week was that mature believers understand that God is at work in every detail, no matter what. That's hard to believe when you're in the struggle, but we know, according to God's word, that nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted. Even when there's lack, even when there's tragedy, even when there's hardship, And the question we left last week, or two weeks ago, I guess, is what field, what situation have you been planted in, that have you landed in, and where do you need to get to work? Because that's exactly what Naomi and Ruth did. They got to work. In chapter 2, we also met Boaz, didn't we? And we began to see this love story kind of come to life. 
Although we didn't really focus on the romance so much, we focused on the character of Ruth and the character of Boaz. And we said last week that this type of character is marriage material, right? And for all the singles that are here, uh, that was uh, the, the idea that you need to wait for your Ruth. You need to wait for your Boaz. And I was studying a little this week, and if you're interested, you can write it down. You can search out the internet that if you don't wait for your Boaz, you may end up with one of Boaz's relatives. And I'll just leave it at that, and you can search that out. And uh, some of you might know what I'm talking about. But the waiting the, it is important. And in uh, waiting in chapter 3 takes it to a whole new level, and we're going to see that. Though where we saw the hope in chapter 2 was in verse 20, things started to shift again. And what I love is that this story isn't like everything happens in the... In the um, twinkling of an eye or in an instant. It's a process. And Naomi is in process. And she's still struggling. She's still wondering where God is, even though she's seeing uh, some favor. And what I love about that is that we can understand the same thing. I know I've been there. I can relate that I don't always get it right away when God's moving, right? We can wonder and we say, all right, God, what are you doing? We look back and we say, oh, the, I see what God was doing in hindsight, but in the moment, how many have been there saying, God, what's going on here? And Naomi's still in that place, a place of hopelessness. And I've come to realize that when people are hopeless, when you are hopeless, when I've been hopeless, you feel stuck. What happens if we're not careful, that leads to bad decision-making, short-changing God's plan maybe going back to old strategies. And that is exactly what we want to avoid. And now, as we move into chapter 3, oh, do things heat up in chapter 3. How many have been reading the book of Ruth with me? All right, I've asked you to read it once, all the way through uh, each week, and so hopefully you've read it and reread it. But if you have read chapter 3 in particular, how many of you were thinking, what in the world is going on in this story? What is going on here? What is Pastor Ben going to preach out of chapter 3? Have, has anybody curious about that? Or I'm the only one. Oh, Pastor Pale. Pastor Pale is like, yep, I wondered. And that's why he's here and uh, doing a great job listening. And uh, Well, I assure you this morning that there is a message for every single person one of us that's here. Whether you're single or married, whether you're young or old, whether you're a man or you're a woman, whether you're struggling today and you're in that place of hurt, or you're in that place of experiencing the hope of Jesus, that you're living your best days right now, this is a story of hope for all of those circumstances. But I want to warn you before we get into chapter 3, the story takes a crazy turn. If you're reading it for the first time, you would not see this coming. It, we are going to see the worst advice ever from a mother-in-law. In fact, it's dangerous advice. And the story goes from PG to PG-13 to maybe even R-rated. It gets risque. And, uh, and there's this wrestle with purity and integrity. And uh, if I haven't uh, 
got you interested enough. Um, wait till you hear the story. Let's turn to Ruth chapter 3, and here we go. It says, One day Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I, and if, you were, if you're circling in your Bible or underlining or highlighting, I just want you to highlight that word, I. It says, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be provided for. Now, I understand the heart of Naomi here. But can I just be so bold to say that she has the complete wrong perspective here? It should be not I, but let's find out what God's plan is. But we don't see God, we see I. It's not let's wait on God, or not let's learn from chapter 1 in the story of Elimelech, my husband. Nope, Naomi is at it again. She is certainly sensing God moving, the providential nature of God, but she's saying, well, it's not happening fast enough. I better get involved and I've got to make some things happen. And that's what we see kind of coming to light here. Verse 2 says, Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing bar barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor. But don't let him know that you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, take note of the place where he's lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. Verse 5, Ruth answers, I will do what you say. Now I warned you that it's about to get heat, heated up here. And let me just, if you didn't catch it in the narrative, let me try to help you understand what Naomi is telling Ruth to do. She's saying, go get all dialed up, so to speak. Go at night and uncover Boaz's feet. If you study that, like some people that I know that have, it's not just your feet, it's uncover Boaz, his legs, all the way to his midsection. And Boaz will tell you what to do. What is she setting Ruth up for? It's crazy. And Ruth, at best, is naive. She's a Moabite woman. Maybe that's the way they did it in Moab. I don't know. And you say, well, where is all this happening? It's happening on the threshing floor. If you don't know what that is, that is not in town. It's out in the field, out, uh, outside of town. There would have been a lot of men there. It was a relaxed atmosphere at night after the guys have worked hard and they cracked open some of the drinks and there would have been a party atmosphere there was a lot of money uh in that situation and uh it's at night and because there was money and alcohol and lots of men uh the threshing floor was known to be a place where prostitutes would come and to hang and uh, again it's at night and you're saying all of this is what naomi is saying for ruth to step into dangerous to say the least, risky beyond belief. Her reputation was at stake. Certainly she was a Moabite woman. Uh, she could have been taken advantage of. 
for Boaz to go and to do what Naomi says to do. He was a man of honor. We've learned that in chapter 2, and we're going to see that again today. Boaz could have pressed charges against Ruth for this forward action. If you've read ahead, you're saying, well, what's the big deal, Pastor? It all works out, right, in chapter 4. And, uh, and I know you've read ahead, many of you. Well, the only reason it works out is, number one, is because of God's providential nature. That God works despite our stupidity sometimes. That's the first thing. But the second reason this works out is because of Boaz and his example. He is a worthy man. And that's where our focus is going to be. Now, if we look in the story and continue, let's look at it. Verse 6. Let's see how this plays out. So she went, this is Ruth, went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman laying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. So Naomi, she carries out this plan. She sneaks out to the field. She sneaks into the threshing floor. She understands that, uh, that Naomi, her mother-in-law, has said to, to get close to him, uncover his feet, and she does all of these things, all of those dangerous things. And then in verse 9, what we understand here is she says, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer. And essentially, as uh, commentators talk about this, uh, pastors pr- uh, preach about it, she's basically giving him a proposal. She says, will you marry me? That's what's happening here. And the first thing we notice, we want to kind of focus on Boaz's character in the story, is that Boaz doesn't just jump on the opportunity. He slows things down, and he's patient. And that's the first big takeaway, is his patience. Let's look at it, verse 10. It says, The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. Right out of the gate, he puts the brakes on, so to speak. He's full of wisdom. He's an older man, and he says, I want to bless you. I want the Lord to bless you. And so what Boaz does, he takes this uncomfortable situation, and he turns the situation around and brings God right into the mix. If God was going to bless Ruth, Boaz needed to honor Ruth. How many are with me? That's how that would happen. Just a side note for the single ladies that are here. If some guy wants what is best for you, if some guy wants God to bless your life, you have to understand that nothing is more invaluable than God's blessing. And if that's what he wants, If some guy says, I honor you, but then dishonors God and God's word according for your life, let me just say, he does not love you and honor you. 
If he wants to sleep with you or to move in with you, you have got to understand, according to Scripture, this is not God's best interest for you. And that man would not be a man of honor, at least in those moments. The goal for dating is to keep God at the center. Amen? It's always, always the best. So what is Boaz doing here? Let's continue in, uh, in chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 10. It says, The Lord bless you, my daughter. He puts the brakes on. He, he replies, This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, which, uh, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. In other words, he's saying, I will marry you. All the people of my town know that you are a no woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I am. You're saying, well, what's going on here? Boaz, he's putting the brakes on, but he's also setting the parameters. He's saying, look, we're going to do this in the right way. He doesn't advance on her because he's patient. He says, I want to bless, I want God to bless you, and I want God to bless me. Now, the question I have, was Boaz interested in Ruth? Oh, yeah. In fact, as I've read this and reread this, and I've kind of understood, I believe the moment Boaz saw Ruth out in the field the very first time, I believe Ruth would have been a beautiful woman, and he would have been like, who is that woman? That's the way I read it. And I think he would have been interested. But he does not uh, set aside God's will in this circumstance. Boaz understands. He says, yes, I'm interested, but I am not going ahead of God. Yes, I am a guardian redeemer. And what that means is that Boaz would have, been, uh, would have trusted God to work through the legal system of how Ruth could have been uh, purchased with her land from, from her husband and all of those things. He's saying, I can save you, but I'm going to do it in the right way. There's someone else, and we'll talk about that next week, that is in line first, but I'm going to do it the right way. How many are, can appreciate what Boaz is doing here? He's patient. And when we talk about patience, it's important that we realize that patience is always about other people. What's best for others? When we are impatient, it's all about self. It's all about me. It's all about what I want and what I want now. But Scripture is clear in so many different ways uh, how we are to be patient. The first example I want to show you is in Psalm 37, verse 7. It says, Be still and know the, before, the, before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. That's the encouragement from Psalm 37. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18, another idea says, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up and show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. And then look what it says. Blessed are all who wait on him. Boaz would have understood this. He was patient. And I want us to understand together that we have to be patient enough to let God work. He is never 
late in your circumstances or my circumstances. And if you wait on God, you will never be sorry. Isn't that the truth? I know you will be blessed when you wait on him no matter what. So the first thing we see here is Boaz and his patience. But there's another quality that uh, is loud and clear. It's his integrity. Let's go back to chapter 3. Chapter 3, starting verse 13 now. It says, uh, he says to, her, to Ruth, Boaz does, stay here for the night and in the morning if he wants uh, to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, this is another relative, good, let him redeem you. But if he will not, if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could rec be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. When I talk about integrity, that's what we see here in this story. Not only was Boaz patient, but he was a man of integrity. Boaz was a man of faith, a man of wisdom, a man of wealth, a man of war. And he understood that if Ruth would have left in that circumstance, at that moment, it would have been dangerous. It would have been risky. Uh, there would have been other men uh, that may have taken advantage of her. And then the trip back into town, there were predators out that certainly would have caused danger. But he also was interested in her reputation. And he's saying, look, you should not have done this. This is not good, what, what's happening here. Let's get out of this gracefully, is what I think we're, we're seeing here. And Boaz, his character cannot be understated here. Just think about it. You know, the stars are out, right? It's midnight. He loves her, no, no doubt. She's learning to love him, and they are alone. She's under his cloak. And uh, so Boaz here, by saying, look, I'm gonna, we're going to stop this. Boaz is righteous. He's pure. He's self-controlled. He's a man of integrity. Now, they would have understood that in the Old Testament, fornication was wrong. According to Leviticus 19, 29, Deuteronomy chapter 21, it's also considered wrong in the New Testament, uh, in Matthew chapter 15, 9, uh, as well as many other scriptures. This idea that, well, if it feels good, just do it. You cannot find that in scripture. Uh, and today, I want you just to know, uh, everyone here, that we cannot afford to be duped by the world's way. In our culture, it's so prevalent that, oh, it's no big deal. And, and it's not only in relationships, it's in every area. It's no big deal to cheat on a test. It's no big deal to, uh, to cheat on your taxes. It's no big deal to, uh, to, to be shady uh, in business. It's no big deal, whatever the case might be. Listen, if you choose to be self-serving in some way that goes against what God's Word tells us, it always leads to emptiness. And so we've got to be careful. The truth is, is that godliness can be displayed even in an ungodly setting. On the threshing floor, in whatever your circumstances are, godliness can be displayed. How many are with me? Isn't that true? The truth is it's hard, and I get that, 
But the truth also is that ungodliness is everywhere. You say, well, how do we stand? How do we be a light in those circumstances? The way you do that is you choose integrity in every situation, not just in dating, but I do have one more thought about dating before we go on. For those that are single, the big question for a lot of people is, where is the line in regards to dating? How far is too far to go? How many have ever asked that? I know Jessica and I, we you know, grappled with that when we were um, in our dating time and uh, engagement. <laughs> but if I just want to bring you to the verse, Ephesians 5, 3, that explains that there should be not even a hint of sexual immorality. So the, we shouldn't be asking, where is the line? But a better question, I believe, is when is the time? Excuse me, when is the time? And the time for sexual relations is in the confounds of marriage, not before. And again, some people think, well, that's so old fashioned, you know, grow up, or don't you know we're living in 2017? Listen, God's best for you, for your family, for your kids, period, is to wait until you're married. Now, is there forgiveness for those that slip? Absolutely. And, uh, and if you're in that situation, there's, there's forgiveness and there's hope. No question about it. But always, always, always God's best. Am I preaching to the right folks? I hope that challenges some of you. And I hope some of you that might be squirming might consider your ways. All right? All right. So patience and integrity. Let's continue in the story. And this gets it's great. I love this. Uh, verse 15 uh, Boaz also said, uh, so he's sending uh, Ruth home. He says, bring me the shawl uh, you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into, the six, into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then he told her everything, or uh, she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. What I love is that Boaz not only is thinking about Ruth, he's also thinking about Naomi, the mother-in-law, the extended family, the future extended family. He cares for her, he accepts her weaknesses, and is gracious to her, and he sends a gift. It's not a wedding ring at this point, because he's going to do it God's way, but he's sending a sign saying, look, I've got your back. I am taking care of this behind the, the scenes. And Naomi, I understand what you've done, even though it was wrong, but we need to do it the right way. And Naomi finally gets it, verse 18, and this is where we see the hope in chapter 3. And then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens here. She says, look, I've been pushing, but now, all right, I get it. Let's wait. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. In other words, there's hope on the way. Naomi got it at that moment. She's understanding that Boaz is a man of honor, and regardless, Ruth was going to be cared for, and I love that. And as you understand this, as you study this, some of you, as you've dug in a little deeper, 
you understand that Boaz is a type of Christ. That Jesus is uh, likened to Boaz. That Jesus will settle things in our lives. That Jesus is generous. Amen? That he will do everything for our good. And he will not rest, just like Boaz will not rest, verse 18, until you get justice in your life. He cares for you. He is our Redeemer, just like Boaz was the Redeemer for Ruth. And we're going to see that come to play next chapter. And, but for your circumstance, you have to understand that there is reason to hope. There's hope on the way. The best is yet to come. And I realize as I say that, there are some here that are hopeless. You've lost an inheritance, or you've had a broken heart, or you've been bankrupt, or you've been hurt, or you've been, uh, been uh, put aside for promotion, or you're in a situation that's very difficult, and only maybe you and God know. But I just want to declare that the providential nature of God is good. God is good. And if you've been impatient in the process, and you've questioned God's timing or His directives in your circumstance, there may need to be some forgiveness because you've pressed the limits or you've gone too far. You say, well, why is this so important? The, the importance of this comes in the results of patience and integrity. The result of patience is peace and hope. And the result of integrity is this idea that, all right, I will honor God. And I want you to know that the result of integrity, it goes beyond your wildest dreams. Generations will be changed because of your integrity. I wrote in my notes here that if one man or one woman decides to live and to honor God, to love God, generations will be changed forever. And I was thinking about it, and I was sharing with Bobby, and he encouraged me to share this. It's been on my heart. It wasn't in my notes originally. But I can go back four generations in my family, all the way back to my great-grandma Miller. My grandma Miller was first-generation Christian. In fact, her family disowned her and sent her coal one Christmas because of her walk with the Lord. No, that is, that is crazy to think, but true story. But my grandma Miller decided back in the turn of the century, in the 19th century, to follow God. She found Christ right around the whole Pentecostal movement and Azusa Street was happening and, and the, the Pentecostal movement was, was uh, on its way. And not only did it affect my grandma Miller, it affected all of her kids, which included my grandma Vey, uh, Mary, and my grandma Mary and my grandpa Zoltan, they passed it on to their kids, which was my dad, this Christian heritage. And my dad and my mom, and I've told you this before, my dad stood up at his wedding and said, as for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. And they pass it on to my sisters and to me. And I'm standing here, fourth generation Christian. And I can say that one decision 
of my grandma Miller to turn to Christ has changed generations. And it's not just my family, it's my cousins and my uh, extended cousins. And it's, there's probably hundreds of people as a result of one choice. The blessings get passed on. And my question to you is, what kind of legacy are you leaving? And with that, I just want us to turn to the Lord. I want us to understand that it all comes back to God's plan for our lives. We can get so quick and so easily say, hey, I'm just going to take this into my own hands. And it's dangerous. Instead, we need to look to God. We need to look to Jesus. He is our Redeemer. Now, the last few weeks, we've been singing the song, God, I Look to You. And we've mentioned it kind of briefly, this idea that, uh, that's related to this series. But on this Sunday, we wanted to bring it loud and clear. And we're going to actually sing this song again with the perspective of Naomi and Ruth. Because that's what's happening. They're now coming back and saying, all right, we're going to do it God's way because of Boaz. And with that, I'm going to ask that you would stand and we're going to dive into this song and let it minister to your heart and then we'll wrap things up here in just a moment. God, we sing that with Naomi and with Ruth. This idea that we trust, Lord. That no matter what the circumstances, we know that you're working on our behalf. That the best is yet to come. And Lord, we don't want to shortchange your plan. We don't want to take things into our own hands. We want to trust you along the way. God, I pray that in these next couple moments, Lord, that we would make those decisions. In Jesus' name. With your head bowed and eyes closed here this morning, if you're here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to know that he is your Redeemer. He is your Boaz. And all you have to do is reach out and receive him. The Bible says that we're all sinners. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. According to Scripture, that when eternity comes, whether we die on this side of eternity or the Jesus comes for the church. If our sins are not covered by Jesus, we will spend an entire eternity away from Jesus and away from our Heavenly Father. And I'll tell you, one of the reasons I love Sunday mornings is because it's in moments like this that God gets a hold of people's hearts and lives. And they turn to Jesus. And if you're ready to turn to Jesus, receive him this morning, I want you just to lift up your hand right where you are, nice and tall so I can see who's ready to receive Christ this morning in first service. Who's saying, I've lived long enough on my own. I want to put my faith in Jesus. Anyone at all, first service. Just one more second. If the Lord's your heart is pounding, you're saying, man, I'm not sure if that's for me. Let me just assure you that it is. God's plan is for you.
He wants to find you. It's for you. Anyone at all, just slip up your hand. Give you an opportunity. All right. Unless I've missed it, I don't see any hands. If I could have your attention on me just for a moment here. That last question that we asked was, what kind of legacy are you leaving? The legacy you're leaving is related to the decisions that you're making today and each day of your life. And if you're here this morning, you're saying, man, I've got ahead of God in some way. I've taken things into my own hands. I've uh, fallen away or I've, uh, I've made some mistakes. I want you to know that there is forgiveness. There's nothing too great that the Lord and his great, gracious hand cannot forgive. I want you to know that. And this morning, God wants to extend that to you. But again, you've got to want it. And if you're here this morning, you say, man, <laughs> I need that kind of grace uh, for some of the decisions I've made or just where I am in life. Would you just slip up your hand right where you are? Not going to embarrass anyone. Yeah, see some hands. Yeah, I've been there. You bet. Who else? Just saying, man, that's where I am. Forgiveness is here when we ask him to forgive us. So gracious. I want to pray for you, and then we're going to have a, a moment of prayer together of a commissioning, saying, all right, we're going to live according to God's way. But, but let me pray for those that, that responded, that need that forgiveness, they understand it, that they've kind of walked away, they've allowed things in their life. God, we just pray right now that you would meet us according to your glory and your honor. Lord, that you would just capture our hearts and our spirits. And I'm grateful for those that raise their hands with a soft heart saying, Lord, I've made some mistakes. I've got ahead of you in some way. I haven't followed your will according to my understanding of Scripture. And God, whatever that might be, whatever the struggle might be, Lord, I know that you're a forgiving God. And so I'm praying that, that we would experience your forgiveness. And Lord, that as we do that, it will give us confidence to make the right choices and to move in the right direction, to be under that umbrella of protection that you offer. And we thank you for it. And now, if you would, just pray with me after me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I give you my life, every detail, and I want to live according to your word. Help me to make choices that honor you and safeguard my life. I declare that you have good plans for me. No matter where I'm standing today. And I trust you, Lord. I look to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And now, Lord, I pray that as we leave here, that you would go before us, behind us, and all around us, and help us to live a lives that are pleasing to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen.
We love you. Thank you for being here this morning. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegatewaygh.com.